Chapman University uh, put out, uh, puts out an annual survey of fears, American fears. And uh, we all know there's fear in our country, no question about it. And so I, I wanted to share some of the top 10 fears of 2020, 2021. They did the double date because they actually took their survey on January 10th of 2021. But here's their list. And, and I went through this list and um, I, I was surprised because usually it's like spiders and snakes and dark, right? Kind You know, afraid of the dark or afraid of your own shadow. But this list was like, whoa, these are really fears of people. And the first one, corrupt government officials. Six years in a row, that's been number one. I'm not going to go there, all right? Number two, uh, people I love dying, right? Uh, nobody wants to see people they know and love pass away, but that's number two fear. Number three, loved one contracting COVID. Wow, that's up there. Number three, number four, people I love who get seriously ill. Number five, widespread civil unrest. And remember, January 2021, you remember what happened the summer of 2020. A lot of civil unrest all over this country. So that was number five, uh, six. And here we're just pandemic or major epidemic, economic or financial collapse, cyber terrorism, pollution of ocean, rivers, lakes, biological warfare. Those are the fears. I was like, I've never seen a list like this. Again, it's always like spiders, snakes, you know, that stuff, bugs, and, and whatever. But, man, I was like, good night. We do live in a day and age in our country when people are afraid of a lot of stuff different than ever before. I hate snakes. That would be number one on my list, probably. And, uh, but... Wow, there it is. I got to ask you, as we talk this morning, as we begin to think about this, so what are your fears? What are your fears? I know we all have them, and uh, they're varying, and we're going to look at that this morning as we uh, get into Psalm 23. What would be your top 10 list? I'm not suggesting that you ought to go and make one. But as you begin to think about your fears, you need to recognize as we talk through Psalm 23 this morning that they really have no place in your life. The Bible has a lot to say about fear, about not being afraid. Uh, fear can be a real issue for believers, no question about it. Uh, it was obviously an issue for David because he brings it up in the 23rd Psalm. Fear is there. He talks about that. He faced times of fear. And as you think back over the life of David, you could read back through First uh, and Second Samuel and, and see the things that he had to deal with and running for his life and, and having to be afraid of his own son who had taken over the kingdom and kind of a, uh, I don't know if it was a military, but it was a coup. No doubt about it. And he knew the paralyzing reality of fear. David experienced that. And fear does paralyze when we let it. But he was able to move past those fears because the Lord was his shepherd. Is that cool? Because the Lord was his shepherd. 
So I have to ask you this question as we begin. So if the Lord is your shepherd. Now, we, we've been saying that. You got you to think with me. If the Lord is your shepherd. Let that move down through your mind and heart. If that's true, I have to ask, what? What are you afraid of? We better be able to answer that question if we know Jesus. If we know the Lord, if he's our shepherd, what in the world should we be afraid of? We're going to talk about that this morning. So please open your Bibles to Psalm 23, and would you join me? Stand, please. And we're going to do what we've done since we started the study in the 23rd Psalm. We're going to read it, or how about quote it? Anybody quote it with me? Yeah, all right. Uh, anyway, that's all right. Psalm 23. And uh, as we start together, we have it on the screen, and you feel free to read it. All right, that's fine. Uh, so here we go. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Wow. We're halfway through, folks. Don't let me. When I get later on, I, 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 there is a significant change, and I'm going to point that out. Don't let me forget. You're going to say, how we, well... When we get there, you'll know, all right? Uh, but the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He is all I need. And we've been saying, therefore, I will never lack. And as we said right at the beginning, I will never lack any good thing. I need nothing because God is my shepherd. And today, Psalm 23, verse 4, I will never lack his protection or presence. His protection or presence. And as you think about this, as we work through the text this morning, verse 4, understand that his presence is our protection. So when I say to you that we will never lack his protection or presence, really they're one and the same. His presence is our protection. Now, as we dig into this then, the Lord, our shepherd, has a solution. So look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
because the Lord is my shepherd, I will never lack, never lack his protection or presence, even though I walk through the darkest valley. Notice David says, I walk. He doesn't say, even though I run through the dark valley. He doesn't say, even though I stand in the middle of that dark valley, paralyzed by fear and can't move. No, he says, I walk, even though I walk through the valley or the darkest valley. You see, the idea, I think, when we talk about what you have ever heard anybody say, number one, have you ever, hey, we talk about your walk with God. I, I, we need to walk with God. I walk with God. I want you to walk with God. We never hear people say, oh, yeah, how's, how's your run with God going? Sometimes we may feel that way, and that may be the point why he says it's a walk, but David says, I walk through that darkest valley. And I think there's intended the, uh, a peace, a confidence. I'm walking through. I was out with a friend of mine yesterday, going to do some deer hunting this year. Never did it before. Yeah, I know. Well, we were sitting up in, uh, I call it a, a tree house. <laughs> they call it a deer stand. Uh, okay, we were sitting out there in the middle of this field yesterday morning about 9.30. It was beautiful, the color and the temperature and the sun. And we were at a place where there was no noise but the wind rustling through the trees and the leaves. And I was like, wow. I said, I need this. I said, Kevin, this is, I'd like to just come out here and sit here. Just forget hunting. Just, and it's, I walk through the valley. And, and I think the idea is a confidence in God. I'm walking with him. And, and as we, a sense of security in being with our shepherd. That's how David starts. And as he goes through the darkest valley, some of the translations, still the ESV and the New American Standard say, the valley of the shadow of death. And that's a good translation because the word here in the Hebrew that we use as it's talking about dark valleys, it's actually one word, but it's made up of um, a combination of two words. The two words are shadow and death. Shadow and death. And it's a superlative, the word that's used there. A superlative, which means that it's going to express the most extreme form of that word. Almost to the point of exaggerating, right? You know what exaggeration is. Yes? Sure. I mean, I've told you a million times what exaggerating is, right? Some of you don't. All right. I, I haven't told you a million times, but you get it, all right? Well, so that's what the superlative does. And so, in other words, it could be easily translated. As we talk about Dark Valley, it might be the shadowiest of all shadows, you say, that's not good grammar. I know, but it's good communication. The shadowiest of all shadows. Or we might say, as well, we might say the deepest shadows. We might say deathly darkness. And, and that's what David is talking about. He was emphasizing the danger, the terror that the sheep are facing in the valley. 
And he's saying, whoa, it's an extremely threatening situation as the sheep are being herded through, walked through the valley. That's what David's talking about. Philip Keller, and, and we've showed you this. I've recommended this book to you uh, before. I put it up again for you. If you hadn't gotten a copy, you'd, you'd go look for it. It's worth the read. Uh, it, is, it is an excellent thing. And he says this. He believes that verse 4 is a picture of the shepherd moving the sheep uh, from the lowlands that are around the ranch or around where the sheep are kept during the winter and moving them from there uh, up through the mountain valleys to the high pastures where they spend the summer. Where in the lower lands, there's not a lot of grass. It gets dead and, and it used up. And so the, the shepherd will lead them through the valleys up until the rich pastures of the higher lands, the mountains. And on the way, they go through the valleys to get up into that green pasture land. And he's saying that those valleys... Yes, they're full of green pastures on the way up. They're full of quiet waters at times. But they're also dangerous because there are wild animals lurking in the dark shadows. Animals that would love to attack the sheep. We read about David who killed a lion and a bear. Well, that was true out there. And, and, and the, the shepherd had to be on the watch, but there was also treacherous footing on the way through these valleys. And the, they called them wadis in the land of Israel and their cliffs and, and jagged trails and working through that. And the, the footing can be nasty. Also in those valleys, they're susceptible to sudden storms or flooding uh, we've experienced some of that flooding in recent days of some of the rain and in some of the hurricane-torn country or areas of our country. And, and so that's what he's talking about. But also in these valleys, there's not a lot of sun. Because of the way the valleys are, the, the sun, no matter which side it is, there's going to be a dark shadow and it's going to move. And, and so there's that and the dangers that are there that can cause death. It's important that we recognize what David is talking about because we go through those dark valleys on our journey. We walk with our shepherd through those dark valleys, the darkest valleys. James Montgomery Boyce said this. I found this quote. I thought it was excellent because we sometimes think that the dark valleys are not planned by God. We sometimes think that God's turned his back. He's fallen asleep or, or he's just lost track of us while he's paying attention to somebody else. And, and uh, this is the quote. It is important to note that the valley of the shadow of death is as much God's right path for us as the green pastures which lie beside the quiet water. Think about that. We typically wouldn't think that when life is hard, that when we're going through the darkest valleys or the valleys of the shadow of death, that that would be God's will for us? Are you kidding? What? How could that be? Because it's part of God's guidance along the right paths in our lives. 
the shadow of death, death for the believer. And, and, and folks, this is not only just about death. It's about the dangers that we as sheep face in life. Death, yes, is out there. But I want to mention that because death for the believer is not the end. Please, please, I'm not trying to minimize the hurt and the pain that you feel when, when a loved one dies. And many of you have experienced that. And it's rough. It's hard. It's dark. But as you think about it for the believer, and we say this over and over and over again, death is not the end for the believer. Death is the beginning. And when one of our loved ones, a spouse or a child or a parent or a sibling, a a close relative, a close friend dies and if they're believers and they go on to heaven, we talk about this, but it's so hard to grasp. We would never want that individual to come back to this earth, would we? Selfishly, we might say, you know, I miss them. Yes. But man, when somebody gets to heaven and they're next to Jesus and they have a taste of the glory of God there in heaven, why in the world would we ever want them to come back to this? And despite what we know, we still often fear death. David says, I'll fear no evil. You see, the shadow can't hurt you, right? Think about it. One writer put it this way, the shadow of a dog can't bite you. The shadow of a sword can't cut you. The shadow of death cannot destroy you. We are confronted by the dark shadows that life circumstances bring our way, that God, our sovereign shepherd, brings, allows into our life. We must look to our shepherd who is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And in those shadows, he shines and he says to us, if we know Jesus, you are the light of the world. And that means our light can shine in those dark times as we walk with our shepherd. How about this? I was reading and one writer put it this way. When there's a shadow, there has to be light somewhere. Otherwise, there's no shadow. We just have to figure it out, and we just have to keep our eyes on God, on our shepherd. Charles Spurgeon said this about death. Death is not the house, but the porch. Not the goal, but the passage to it. And we sometimes forget that, even as believers. And again, I understand. I miss my mom and dad. But they're with God. And as you think about death for the follower of Jesus, it is the only way for the believer to get to heaven. Death is the only way. This side of the rapture for the believer to get to heaven. 
David says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. And as much a part of our lives that fear can be, and in this day and age, you know, it's the opportunities to fear whatever. We just had a list. Spurgeon said this, the worst evils of life are those which do not exist except in our imagination. Think about the things that we fear most. Usually they never happen. Right? We're afraid of things that could happen. Well, if if I do this, then that could happen. Or if I do this and we build up the case, right? We build it all up. We have, I mean, we got a book by the time we're done in our minds. And we've written all of this stuff because of our fear. And with this fear leads to that. And this that leads to that. And this leads to something else. And all of a sudden we're through the valley. And none of what we feared ever took place. And we look back and, we're, and we go, wow. What was I so afraid of? The Lord is my shepherd. Think about it. And so as we talk about that, he continued on. He said, if we had no troubles but real troubles, we should not have a tenth part of our present sorrows. (laughs) Wow. I, I read that. I thought, man, oh, man. Because often the greatest danger or evil that we fear is fear itself. We allow fear to enter our hearts and our minds and paralyze us, keep us from moving forward with God or for God, doing all that he says we ought to do, and we have the excuses, but, but, what about? Oh, I don't know. And yet, as we think about it, I will fear no evil. Now listen, there are real dangers that we fear. There are real troubles. And despite those dangers, terrors, despite those treacherous circumstances, despite those dark, dark shadows that we live through at times, despite all the threatening possibilities, even death, David says, I will fear no evil. I will not be afraid. How in the world can we get there? I will fear no evil. How, how can he say that? But look what he's been through. Look at the experiences that we know. You think David was afraid when he fought Goliath? Sure he was. But guess what? The fear didn't paralyze him. He didn't didn't write a book about why he couldn't go out there. He did it anyway. Because he said, there's a cause and the cause is our God. He had to do it. And what happened? Goliath fell like the fear. Because God was his shepherd. So how? Because he says, you are with me. And folks, this morning... Grab hold of that truth. You are with me. David says, I will fear no evil for you 
are with me. When he killed that lion and the bear as a shepherd boy, it was his shepherd, the Lord, who was with him. When he went up against Goliath, it was his Lord, his shepherd, who was with him. For you are with me. I will not be afraid because you are with me. We have the same shepherd that David did. If you know Jesus today, if you have looked to the cross and said, I know that God loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for me, to pay the price of my sin, to pay my debt with his very life. He shed his blood to forgive my sin. And when I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he will forgive that sin. He will save me. He will take me out of the place of being an enemy of God to being a child of God. He becomes our shepherd. That's Jesus. That's what he does. He is then with us. For you, the Lord, my shepherd, are with me. The Lord, my shepherd, is always present. Look at, keep your place in Psalm 23, but look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139. What, a, what an amazing psalm. Of course, they all are. We know some better than others, and we use some more often than others, depending on the topic. But Psalm 139, verse 7, this is what David says. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Now listen, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. The Lord is my shepherd. Why? Because he is with me. Look at that. Verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. Is that cool? Even the darkness will not be dark to you. For darkness is as light to you, our shepherd. That's what David's saying. As I was doing this, I came across, and it just hit me this morning, Psalm 118. If you want to look at it, feel free. But Psalm 118 is a psalm that God used in my heart and mind when I was facing my third open heart surgery. It was time for me to get ready. We'd set a date, and uh, the insurance that I had had, we changed insurance carriers. And we went to an insurance carrier that wouldn't go cover the hospital down in Philadelphia, University of Pennsylvania. And I was like, wait a minute, what in the world? This surgeon that I've already had for my first two, he's got to. I, so I appealed, and, and, I, and when I talked to the person that I was appealing, some medical person, and I said, listen, no offense to your people or doctors or hospital, that's not it. But this surgeon, I've already had him, he's been in there twice already. Aside from God, this is what I said, aside from God, there's nobody that knows my heart like he does. I guess I could have included you, hon, right? Yeah. But really, five days, 
before my surgery. I won the appeal. God did it. But meanwhile, when I was like, how can I do this? How can I go through surgery with a, another surgeon? That my, my surgeon knows what's in there. And God says, Glenn, in Psalm 118, verse 6, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. Verse 7, the Lord is with me. He is my helper. Verse 8, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. Verse 9, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Verse 9b, may not be in your Bible, but it says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in surgeons. That's what was in my Bible that morning. Just kidding, folks. Don't walk out of here saying, uh-oh. He's gone off into that. No. But that's what I knew I had to believe God for. And I walked into that surgery not worrying about whether. And I, I did peace with God. And I think it was exactly it's what God was waiting for. He wanted me to come to that point. And it was days after that that I get a call. Mr. Amos, you can, go to you can go to the University of Pennsylvania. You can go down to Dr. Bavaria. You're good. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Because that the Lord was. Why? Because he was there. But listen to me, it's much more important than just that. This is not just some intelligible truth, some principle, some fact that we can say the Lord is here. Oh, yeah, we know that. I just read Psalm 139. Everywhere I go, the Lord is there. You can't go anywhere without the Lord being there. But it's more than that. He's not just there. The Lord, my shepherd, is there for me, for you. In other words, he intervenes. When he says, he is my shepherd, that means he will get involved in your life. It means he will step into your life. He will intrude, if necessary, into our lives. And many times it is because we're caught up in fear. We're like, I don't know what to do. God, why? Where are you? How am I going to get through this? And he has to jump in and intrude and interject himself into our lives. And that's when we say he gets involved and we know he is there, not just as a truth, but his active involvement in your life and mine to accomplish his purpose and will. That's what David means when he says, the Lord is my shepherd I'll fear no evil because you are with me. Because you will get involved in my life. Wow. Like Moses, we looked at that a few weeks ago when God said to him, Moses, like, I can't go to Pharaoh. I, what? He says, I am that I am. I am with you, Moses. Get going. Think about it. It's what Isaiah cried in chapter 7 and verse 14. Folks, Christmas is just around the corner. Christmas, Herod is Christmas. Whew. 
But Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah is, is talking about uh, the, 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 a virgin will conceive. In fact, it's quoted again in Matthew, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which is God with us. Good, you guys are ready for Christmas. God with us. He has intervened. He intervened in the Christmas story. He came into our world. He made himself available to come into our lives because he was born to go to the cross to die so that our sin could be forgiven, so that we could have a relationship, that he could become our shepherd, so that he could intervene in our lives. He does that. He will always do that. He did it in the past. He does it now and will keep doing it. Because he's our shepherd. Because he is with me and you. That's why Jesus told his disciples after he'd resurrected in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, what we call, it's where we get our mission. The mission of Herod's Baptist Church Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and here it is, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. That's our job. That's why we're here, baptizing them, those disciples, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Look at this, and teaching them to obey, not just teaching them, not just filling their minds with truth, teaching them to obey that truth, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Why? And surely I am with you always. The disciples had to be wondering, what in the world? How are we going to do this, God? You're gone. You died. You were buried. You rose again. We believe that. And now you're telling us to, to go out into the world and make disciples? How? He says, because I am with you always. And that's what David is saying in verse 4. For you are with me. It's been said that we are never so conscious of the presence of God as when we're passing through life's valleys. Put your hope in God, Psalm 42. We looked at that last week. Put your hope in God. One of our D group memory verses I've used so often. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope because he is with me. So in light of what you've just heard, what do you need to do this morning? What is it? How do you need to respond? We talked about Matthew 28. We talked about teaching to obey all that I've commanded. Well, we just heard the Lord is with us. We fear no evil. What do you need to do? How do you need to respond as we think about that great truth? Has the presence of the Lord gripped your life? When you are with David, he talks about his shepherd, our shepherd, the same shepherd. And he says, fear no, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Has the presence of the Lord gripped your life? 
He is with you. That's not just some great knowledgeable fact and principle and truth in the Bible. It is something that is real. He will intervene in your life. Revelation 1, verses 17 and 18. I'm teaching this morning in my Heritage Institute class, the last class on future events. We're going to talk about the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, John says, When I saw him, God, the Lord, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, What? Do not be afraid. Why? I am the first and the last. Verse 18, he says, I am the living one. I was dead. And now, look, I am alive forever and ever and hold the keys of death and Hades. That's our shepherd, folks. That's Jesus. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So, as we close, again, so if, if the Lord is your shepherd. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? If the Lord is your shepherd. Because he is all I need. His presence is our protection. We will never lack his protection or his presence. He's all I need. What are you afraid of? Father, thank you for Jesus. What an unbelievable truth. That as our shepherd, there's nothing we need to fear. No matter how dark the circumstances, the valleys, the shadows of death. With David, we fear no evil. Because you are with us. Oh, Lord, grip our hearts with that unbelievably amazing truth. You are with us. Help us to live our lives Acknowledging that truth in all that we do. For it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.